Good morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our series entitled Elijah. Uh, it's been a little while uh, since we have dug into God's word for Elijah being gone here for a couple of weeks, uh, but we are back into this study and into this series on Elijah. Before we get there in just a moment, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been or ever felt outnumbered? Uh, and there's all different ways. Uh, sometimes it feels like being outnumbered, uh, maybe as a, as a Christian around non-Christians. Uh, maybe that means uh, being outnumbered as a, a particular sports fan amongst other kinds of sports fans. Uh, you know, if you go to a, a ball game, uh, maybe you're supporting your particular high school, but it's an away game, and, and uh, you feel like you're, you're, you're kind of in, in the smaller group, you feel outnumbered. Or you go to a major game, a major stadium, and uh, you know you are outnumbered. Now, in those cases, certainly there are many times uh, many, many more for one team than another. But what if you were literally outnumbered 850 to 1? That would be quite the outnumbered process. That's not just, you know, outnumbered by hundreds or outnumbered by tens or dozens. Uh, 850 to 1. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Elijah was outnumbered 850 to 1 as we take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18. We've been going through this study, looking at verse by verse all of the, the various things as we've been introduced to this man of God, this prophet. He was introduced to us and, and he came before King Ahab, a wicked and sinful and evil king, and declared there would be no rain. And indeed there was not. But after he made that declaration, God had him speak to the king. What did God do? God pulled him aside, and he went by the brook, the brook Cherith, and God took care of him. The ravens brought him food, remember? The ravens brought room service. And then from there, God sent him to a widow, and God did some mighty miracles through Elijah, and in that life, just a wee little bit of flour, just a little bit of oil, and that continued to be enough and enough and enough. And if that wasn't enough, the widow's son died, and the power of God raised him back to life. Still no rain in the land, still the famine, still the drought in the land. And now Elijah bumps into Obadiah, Remember, this was a godly man serving in a wicked kingdom. And he says, present me to King Ahab. And we explored that dynamic last time. And what we're taking a look at this morning, 1 Kings chapter 18, it's this showdown, if you would, between the false prophets of Baal and Elijah, the man of God. Elijah does indeed go before King Ahab. And he declares that there's going to be a little bit of a, a battle, a little bit of a duel. The God who would answer by fire is the one true God. Well, there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 false prophets of Asherah. 
So 850 false prophets and one man of God with a whole bunch of other people kind of in between. Elijah is going to give the prophets of Baal, if you would, the home field advantage of Mount Carmel. It's a high mountain ridge next to the Mediterranean where the drought effects would be least apparent. Baal, in the Ugaritic text, is referred to as one who hurls lightning to the earth. So if they're worshiping Baal, if there is power to Baal, he would hurl lightning to the earth. He should be able to answer by fire, and they're high up on the mountain. He's giving home field advantage to the false prophets. Now, do you think, 1 verses 850, do you think Elijah wanted God to come through on his behalf? Do you think Elijah wanted God to move mountains on his behalf? Do you think that Elijah wanted God to send the fire from heaven on his behalf? Do you think Elijah wanted God to respond? I'd venture to say a wholehearted yes. Now, how about you? Maybe you're facing a struggle, you're facing a situation, and it might not be a duel with 850 false prophets, but maybe you feel like you could say that same thing. God, with these physical issues or financial issues or these family issues I'm facing, God, I need you to come through in a big way. God, I want you to send the fire from heaven in a mighty way. God, would you shake heaven and earth and move mountains on my behalf, God? I want you to come through in my life. Chances are good that many of us would say, yes, I need and want and desire God to come through in my life. This morning, we're going to be looking at a number of principles to follow as we see God come through. Quick caution. This, this is not the five simple steps to getting God to do whatever you want. That's not what these are. We're looking at the life of Elijah. We're looking at some of the principles that he lived out. And we're about to see God did move in a mighty way. But this isn't, okay, if you do, if you do these things in exactly the order, in exactly the way that Elijah does, you're going to force God to move. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is, here are some biblical principles of how Elijah lived. And as a result, we're about to see God did answer a pretty incredible prayer and a pretty incredible duel. I believe as we live out these principles, I believe we will see God come through in our lives. God come through in our situations the fire to fall from heaven in our own personal lives. Mountains to be moved in some of the situations that we're facing. So principle number one, to see God come through. Here's one thing that Elijah did. Number one, we must choose. Choose. Elijah had to make a decision for God. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. 
Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Interesting. Elijah saying, you've got to choose. There is a choice to be made. If God's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him, but choose. And what did the people do? People were completely silent. The people of Israel, the people, they were kind of caught in the middle. They, they really weren't living for God, maybe not completely living for Baal, but not sure where to go, where to turn. Elijah said, you've got to choose. There's a decision to be made. Elijah wasn't afraid to make a choice, take a stand, and follow God. He said, how long are you going to waver, hobbling between two opinions? If we're desiring God to move in our hearts and in our lives, we can't be wavering, straddling the fence between living for God, living for the world. We've got to have that choice and that decision that says, I'm standing for God. I stand for his truth. I stand for his word. I stand for his godliness. And, and not just try to follow God when it seems easy and convenient and then slide back over here when it seems difficult. Elijah said, make a choice, make a decision, and choose God. Now, is it always easy to choose God? Not always. Because you might be outnumbered. We've got to choose. We've got to make that decision, even if we're outnumbered. How challenging do you think that might have been? Maybe even a little intimidating. One man of God, one prophet declaring the word of God, and there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and then a whole bunch of people kind of in the middle who haven't decided. Not the easiest to stand up and declare, I choose God. It's not always easy. It's not always the easiest thing in school to declare, I'm going to choose and stand for God. No matter what my friends might do. I'm going to choose and stand for God in my job, in my workplace, in my family, in my community. Even if I'm outnumbered, even if people laugh or mock or make fun of, I'm going to choose to stand for God. That was, that was a pretty gutsy stand and choice by Elijah. He said, you've got to choose. Are you going to live for God, choose God, make the decision for God, or Baal? Which one's it going to be? Don't hobble, don't limp, don't go back and forth, don't waver. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. I've got to make that for myself. You've got to make that for yourself. I would love to make decisions for people, right? 
How many of you, you've got family members, you've got friends, you've got coworkers, you've got classmates, and you wish, you know, you wish you could just program them like a robot and make them choose to serve God. Make them choose to live faithfully for Him day after day after day. Anybody ever found that button to program yet? I haven't. As a pastor, sometimes, not sometimes, many times you see people making destructive decisions and you want to say, stop. And many times you do say, stop, turn to God, seek God. But guess what? They have a choice. Just like you have a choice. Just like I have a choice. We've got to make our own decision for God. Being in a godly family or Christian family is awesome. But it doesn't mean that we're grandfathered into the family of God. It doesn't mean we're automatically in. If we've got a great mom, godly mom, godly dad, godly grandparents, all of those are positive things. And we thank God if you've got a great positive godly influence. But that decision, that choice is up to you and you alone. Elijah said, make a choice. Make that determination. Make that decision to choose and serve God. Even if you're outnumbered, even if it seems like everybody's against you, choose to serve God. Now, again, doesn't automatically mean that when we choose to serve God, God just does everything that we ask Him to do. It's the godly principle of saying, I'm going to choose and stand and serve Him. First principle we see from Elijah is he made a choice, made a decision for God. Second thing, if, if we're wanting to see God do some incredible things, move mountains, firefall, answering on our behalf, not just choose, we must prepare. I believe you and I need to get ready for a move of God. Can we make God move? No. We can't, we can't force God, but we can prepare and get ready for God to move. True? Now, what we're about to see are two very different methods of preparing. So, as we continue on in 1 Kings chapter 18, 23 and following, we're going to see Elijah even helping out the prophets of Baal, giving them the opportunity to prepare for their God to move, for their God to answer. And then at the conclusion, at the end of this next little passage, we'll see some of the preparations that Elijah began to do. So first of all, the prophets of Baal, as he said in verse 23, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one and let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Verse 24, then you call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now just pause right about there. 
How incredibly in tune would you need to be with God to call out 850 false prophets in a fire-making contest, right? You, you had better be prepared. You had better be right with God, knowing him and his voice to say, this is what we're doing. In our minds, we look at that and say, whoa, kind of crazy talk here, Elijah. But all the people said, what you say is good. Fair enough. I mean, we serve this God, Baal. He hurls lightning from the heavens. I'm sure he's going to respond with fire. We're up on the Mount Carmel. We've even got a little bit of an edge over this poor fellow. 850 of us, only one of him. Sure thing. This, this duel sounds good. Verse 25. Elijah said, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there's so many of you. I'll let you go first. There's a whole bunch of you. You go. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. <laughs> no cheating. How many of you have to say that when you, you get some, some family games, right? How many of you have family rules? I know right now you're looking at the one who's cheating, so I'm, I'm looking to see who everybody's looking at. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're, you're the one. He's basically saying, no cheating. You know, you can't try to put this little fire thing underneath that you call on fire from Baal and someone lights the fire, you know. No cheating. So here's how they prepare. Verse 26. They took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. We're talking hours. 850, all these false prophets calling on Baal for hours. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. I wonder why. Baal's a false god. He's not going to respond. And they danced around the altar they had made. So they spoke and they shouted and they danced, hundreds of them for hours, and nothing happened. Now, the, the next particular portion of Scripture, I don't necessarily encourage. Okay? These are things, uh, many times we look at godly men and godly women, and, and, and these aren't necessarily things we, we are to replicate this not one of the principles of seeing God move is to taunt your opponents. No, no, no. But that's exactly what Elijah did. Verse 27, at noon, after hours, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. He's taunting. Some of the, the Hebrew there almost implies not just busy or traveling, almost implies maybe he's in the restroom taking care of some business. In other words, maybe he's doing anything but answering you. So, so you better try to get his attention. Get a little louder. Get a little crazy. I mean, you got to do what it takes. The God who answers by fire, tick, tick, tock. Time's running out. You better move. So verse 28, 
They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Can you, are you getting this picture? Hundreds of false prophets speaking, yelling, shouting, dancing, calling upon a fake God to send fire, and then they take swords, spears, knives, and cut and slash themselves so blood starts to flow. Why? They think they're going to get their God's attention. I'm bleeding here, Baal. Answer me. Verse 29. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Elijah gave them Hours of time to prepare. And then in just one verse, we see a little bit of what Elijah is doing. Verse 30, Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. It's a little bit of a, a physical preparation of the, the spiritual. He's, he's preparing the altar of God. Now, that, that altar was that physical place you would bring the sacrifices to, and, and they would you know, offer these uh, bulls and lambs and goats, and, and the sacrifices would be done on the altar. And in, in the midst of hundreds of people getting crazy for hours, and as well as over time, that, that altar was in a little bit of disrepair. So he's, he's preparing that. He's getting it, it ready and right Today's day and culture, we might refer to this place at the front of the sanctuary you know, as the altar, the, the place. This is not a physical place where we bring animals for sacrifice. But it's a place of sacrifice. It, it's a place of connecting with God. What Elijah was doing, he's saying, we've got to prepare physically and spiritually to meet with God. We, we can't force or make God answer these incredible requests. This is not, okay, God, I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to check off all of the boxes, and so you have to. No. It's just simply saying, God, I am preparing. I'm preparing physically. I'm preparing spiritually. I am going to be ready for when you do move. You, when you get ready to move that mountain on behalf, God, I'm going to be ready. When you get ready to send your fire from heaven, God, I will be ready. So Elijah was preparing his altar. What might that altar be like for you and I? Spending time in God's presence. Spending time in, in the house of God. Spending time in, in worship of God. Prayer with God. The word of God. It's amazing. So many times people say, oh, I want God to move in my life. And then we do nothing to prepare for that move of God. I want God to move in my finances. There's a handful of things we can do to prepare the way, right? Cut back on expenses. Increase some income. Try to look in and handle our resources and finances God's way and prepare for him to bless. 
I want God to, I want God to bless our relationships or marriage or family situation. Let's begin to prepare. Let's begin to do some of the things that God has said and taught in his word and be ready for a move of God. Elijah gave hundreds of individuals hours and hours to prepare. The truth was, Elijah had been preparing himself well before today. It had been, no doubt, two to three years up until this point. He had showed up. God had directed him to King Ahab. No rain, he declares. But then God brings him to the brook, continues that preparation. God brings him to the widow and her son, continues that preparation. Brings him and connects him with Obadiah to connect him with King Ahab. And he has been preparing day by day, year by year. This was not a one-time shot of coming before God and asking for the fire to fall, mountains to be moved, and God to come through. So I believe for you and I, we've got to choose, we've got to make that decision, I'm going to stand for God. But I believe we've got to then prepare, get ready for the move of God. Thirdly, I believe we need to remember, think about what God has done. Verse 31 and 32, right after he's prepared and he has repaired the altar of God, getting ready for this sacrifice, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Elijah was getting ready. He was remembering the mighty works of God he had already done before. What did it say he did? He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. Does that sound familiar to anyone? A couple years ago, we, we went through the entire book, literally the entire book, chapter by chapter, verse by word, uh, verse, by verse, Joshua. In multiple places in Joshua, what do we see? These memorials, these monuments of 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And here's what Elijah did. He's repairing this altar. He uses 12 stones, and it's a monument. It's a memorial. He's being reminded of what God has done in the past, being reminded of the, the might and the miracles. Just think about that. Bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Red Sea, the Jordan River, Manna, quail. I mean, you could go on and on through the mighty miracles in the book of Joshua. God's hand upon the Israelites. He was remembering God's works. How about you and I? We're getting ready or we're desiring God to move on our behalf, but can we pause? Can we remember? Can we look back and say, thank you, God, for what you've done? Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the past acts and works of healing, provision, guidance, direction. We can look back at the faithfulness of God. It can be easy to, to look at the situation in front of us. You ever get that poor old me syndrome? 
look what I'm facing, look what I'm dealing with. And we see all of what's in front of us, which isn't always the greatest. But can we pause? Can we remember? Can we turn and look back and say, God, thank you for what you've brought me through. Thank you for how you've guided and provided and as you've done that in the past, God, I believe I'm, I'm preparing and I'm, I'm anticipating you're going to do that very same thing again, maybe in an even greater way. Remembering God's works and remembering to thank him and not just ask. We can be pretty good at asking. We're, we can be professional askers. It's like every day is Christmas with God, right? Oh, God, I need a. And, and our, our list is, is longer than a kid's wish list at Christmas. God, I need, and God, I need, and God, you gotta. And, and it's ask, 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 ask. Now, we can, and he's instructed us to bring our needs before him. We can, but can we also as well thank? God, I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for how you've helped. I'm thankful for, for what you've done in the past. And as you've been faithful with that, God, I'm trusting you to do the very same thing in my midst, in the present. So we choose. We prepare. We remember Fourth principle that we see in the life of Elijah is to pray. We can boldly go to God. Now, we mentioned this is a pretty bold ask. What's he about to do? He's about to come to God and say, God, I'm here against hundreds of other false prophets. The duel that I've called out is the God who answers by fire is God. There's a, a bull cut up on the, the altar here. Hundreds of people, they've been calling out to Baal for hours and hours and hours. I began to tease. I began to taunt him, God. I stoked the, the potential fire even louder. God, I need you to move. That's about what's going to come out, right? Prayer, boldly going to God. Verse 36, at the time of sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. It's a powerful, rather short and concise prayer. If we're being honest, that's probably not the prayer we would pray. Right? Your prayer and my prayer might be a little bit more like, Oh God, I need fire. God, I called them out. God, I taunted them. I made fun of their false God. Help deliver me, God. I'm in trouble if you don't answer. Many times our, our prayers are about us. God, rescue us. Help me. What's Elijah's prayer? You're God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I want everybody to know you are God. I'm simply your servant. 
I'm, I'm doing what you're asking me to. God, I want you to answer. Why? So that I look good? No. So that they'll know that you are Lord and you're turning their hearts back again. God, I want you to do something incredible for them. You're going to turn. You're going to bring them back to you. God, I want you to do something incredible on their behalf. This is a pretty bold prayer. Reminds me of Hebrews 4.16. And what does it say? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find mercy and obtain grace to help. In time of need, we can come, not just come to God, we can come boldly. Yes, we can bring our needs. Yes, we can bring our requests. No, we don't have to be cautious or hesitant. We can come boldly. Many times we're facing some big needs. We have some big asks. God, I'm asking for this, and I'm asking for that. And Lord, you see this situation, my life, my body, my family, this, that. We can come with a lot of requests, and we can do so boldly. But I encourage us, as with Elijah, that we can do so consistently. Elijah had been preparing. God had been preparing him little by little, year after year. This was not a one-day, one-shot prayer. That preparation, that, that time in God's presence had been faithful and continual. Let's you and I continue to pray and seek God and boldly ask for his fire. Boldly ask those mountains to be moved. Boldly ask His hand upon your life, your body, your family, all the situations that we are facing. We don't have to come to God and kind of shrug and put our head down and kind of sort of ask. As His child, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Finally, what do we do? We're desiring, we're seeking God's answer, the, the fire of God, we choose we prepare we remember we pray finally i think we've got to believe trust god for the impossible now if things were not impossible enough elijah just ramped up the impossibility right he's already called out that the god who answers by fire is god so we're just going to stand around. We're going to wait for a lightning to fall from heaven. And whether it's Baal or God, that's how we're going to declare a winner. All right. How many of you have made fire? Uh, not literally created it, but you know how to make fire. Uh, I mean, if you've got a, a lighter, if you've got a match, uh, maybe some of you being... Uh, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or Royal Rangers or Missionettes, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you could use a magnifying glass and, and capture the, the sunlight's rays or, or you could rub sticks together or use flint and rock. I mean, isn't there a lot of ways to use things to build and create fire? There's a handful of them. What does it typically need, just out of curiosity, dry things or wet things? 
Everybody answers dry. I mean, how do you, how do you build a fire in a rainstorm? It's impossible. You need dry stuff to catch on fire and burn, right? So it's already kind of an impossibility, fire coming out of the sky from heaven. Elijah is believing and trusting for the impossible. Let's see what he did. Verse 32, he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. A lot of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. So you've got the altar of stones, you've got the wood on top of the stones, you've got the bowl cut in pieces on top of the wood, on top of the stones, a trench all the way around it. Oh, just for fun, let's take four large containers of water and let's just douse it all so that it's wet. Do it again, he said. And they did. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. Unique, he, he did it three times, but the four large containers. Now he's got 12 containers of water on top of the 12 stones representing Israel. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. You know, th this isn't kind of sprinkling where it's kind of sleight of hand. It looks like it's a little damp, but stuff over here is dry and can catch on fire. This is not a sleight of hand magician trick. It's doused, dumped, and saturated with water. The God who answers by fire is God. Elijah saying there's no tricks involved, no trickery. I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe for the impossible. With the odds stacked against him, hundreds against one, he makes it even more challenging by dousing everything with water. Now understand, we're not simply to go out and try to poke and pick fights with everybody and then maybe foolishly trust and believe God's going to rescue us in mighty, miraculous ways. God did in this situation. God was speaking. God was guiding. He did some pretty outlandish things. But Elijah was trusting and believing for the impossible. What are you facing that seems impossible? Maybe what you're facing seems as impossible or even more so than this. That fire would come out from heaven and ignite a flame on stuff that is soaked with water so much that the trench that was dug was filled to the top. Maybe what you're facing, maybe your situation seems, well, it seems just like that. You don't know where to turn. You need the fire of God to fall. You need mountains to be moved. You need God to answer on your behalf. It seems impossible. Well, you trust and believe in God and in his mighty power. Because God did answer. There's the powerful thing. God answered, and God didn't just barely answer the prayer. God went above and beyond. How many of you are glad that we serve an above and beyond powerful 
God. Let's see exactly what took place. Verse 38, immediately the fire of God flashed down from heaven. This wasn't hours. This wasn't chanting and speaking and shouting and, and dancing and cutting himself. This was a prayer offered in faith, believing and trusting God to do the impossible, and immediately fire flashed. It burned up the young bull, the wood. You would, you would expect the animal should burn, the wood should burn, Waterlogged, it burned anyway. But look at what else burned up. It burned up the bowl, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. I don't know about you, I've never been a part of a fire where stones burned, dust burned, water burned. Everything burned up and disappeared. The impossible became possible with God. When the people saw it, they fell down, face down on the ground, and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. I want to encourage you this morning that whatever it is that you might be facing, it seems like a mountain. It seems like an impossibility. It seems like there's no way for there to be a response. It seems too impossible. We can trust and believe God for the impossible. Was Elijah able to do that? No. It was God. It was God's power and God went even above and beyond he simply was calling for fire from heaven and God says I'll see you and answer that fire and then some will burn up all the stones burn up all the dust dry up and lick up all the water of the trench just be sure when God does when God answers, when those mountains are moved, when that fire falls from heaven, when God shows up in your life Let's honor him and praise him and thank him and declare the Lord. He is God. He's the one who did it. It wasn't, wasn't me. It wasn't our craftiness. It, it wasn't my expert packing of wood and packing of the bull. And it, it was nothing that I could do, Elijah said. It's God. When God moves, honor him. And remember, he's the one that did it. Things that we can do, principles that we can do to place ourselves in a position to hear from God. We've got to choose. Make that decision to serve God. We've got to prepare. Get ready for God to move in our hearts and our lives. Pause and remember. Look back at what he's done, his faithfulness in our life. Pray. Trust. Believe God can do the impossible. <laughs>